Hey everyone, welcome to Rereading, a podcast for reconnecting with your authentic self and learning how to own your brand of weird. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Rereading. I'm going to be honest with you guys, on today's episode, I'm continuing with my experimentation on how I prep for and record all my episodes. So like last week's episode, I'm using more of a riff approach this week. This is where I've listed a few key points for myself, and I'll riff on those different points for the duration of the episode. I've chosen to do this because I'm still trying to figure out what style of running the podcast works best for me, and I figured, since this thing is all about helping people find their authentic self and their authentic voice, then sharing about my journey to finding my voice for this podcast could be helpful. And something that I learned is when I did the first two episodes, I had a very specific, heavily detailed outline. And honestly, that outline had a few paragraphs of script so that I could stay on task, stay point oriented, and get everything that I wanted to accomplish in the episode. On the downside, though, because my brain is so visual in how I process information, having that outline and having those scripts meant that I couldn't use all the visual imagery that I was coming up with in my mind to help express points. I couldn't go down the rabbit trails and it ended up feeling a little constricting. So I'm trying to test out and see if I give myself a softer outline where I can do those things, what that balance is so that I can still have a productive episode and still honor that chaos that is my brain. And I feel like this is something that we've all experienced in different ways in our lives. Not saying that you have a chaotic brain, because you probably don't. But that need to be highly detailed or overprepared in order to be successful, that need to have like a thousand different certificates in order to feel like we can do something that we know we can do, or when we try to reduce the risk of going off topic, being awkward in social settings, saying something that doesn't make sense or that doesn't make people in the room happy, we tend to modify our behavior to what we think those norms are. And there's always those fears of, well, if I don't do this like that, then this might not work out or I might fail. It might not be good enough. They're going to think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm awkward. It's those good old self-doubts and the imposter syndrome that causes us to think maybe we shouldn't or maybe we need to do things like other people do them. Or it might have us model what we're doing off the more successful folks without taking the time to really pause and consider what works best for us. What makes us feel like we did our best, not their best, our best. Or what makes us feel like we set out to do, like we did what we set out to do. Because really, at the end of the day, we're the ones who are going to be sitting there thinking and comparing ourselves to others and rehashing what we did for the day to see if we did good enough. We're using our measuring stick. We're not actually using theirs because we don't know what theirs looks like. And really, most of us that are doing that probably do without realizing other people are doing the same thing. They're comparing themselves and the things that they're doing to the things that we do or the things that we're doing really well and they're seeing that and they're admiring that and now they're judging how they did based on the success that they saw that we had. And I actually just had this conversation with a yoga teacher that I know. Uh, I had told her about how I just graduated a breathwork facilitation course and I asked if she'd be willing to post a flyer for me to work on my practicum hours. Now the intent was just to basically do a free little thing saying, hey, newly graduated flow breathwork facilitator, looking for some folks to work on my practicum hours. Sessions are free. If you're interested, please shoot me a text or uh, send me an email. 
and she declined. And instead, thankfully, she offered to allow me to guest speak at a couple of the classes that she's doing and demonstrate flow breathwork for those students a couple of times a week. During this conversation, she noted that I seemed to hesitate at the idea, and I admitted that I absolutely was because I'd had one picture in my mind of how I would do my practicum, which was mostly free sessions, probably largely on Zoom. And now I was trying to wrap my head around an entirely different picture. In her attempts to reassure me, which she is wonderful at doing, she let me know that she was offering this because this this offer was what was within the integrity for her business, while also saying that she did it because she really wants to help me get my hours in so she can see me be successful. She felt this was important because she noted that she thinks I'm great. And of course, my brain immediately launched into how I really appreciated this and her. And I started over explaining how the course had gone right down to how I identified myself as awkward and getting to know my peers in the class, which led her to comment that she doesn't find me to be awkward, just real. And of course, this created a whole lot of self-doubts as I contemplated the offer and her statements that I'm real. And it was easy to start comparing my new still-growing teaching style to her teaching style or how I engage with people in social settings, especially when it's a new class where I don't know anybody, to how other people socialize. And despite the fact that she's been doing this for absolutely years, and I've been doing this since October, I still had those little doubts creep in. And it was then that I realized that this week on the podcast would need to be all about self-doubt, authenticity, and imposter syndrome. So let's get into it. Funnily enough, the self-doubt is actually one of the largest reasons why I chose to start my business. I am very big on challenging myself and remember how much I used to doubt if I was genuinely helpful or not growing up. Even at the early stages of my career, there was this constant self-doubt that was just existing in my brain, taking up a lot of space, challenging, am I really helpful? Is this good enough? Do they actually want me to be around? I don't know. And while I still do that sometimes, I've also learned how to recognize when that train gets going and the skills to address it much faster than I did when I was younger. And in fact, as I'm talking about that, it's bringing up this memory when I was in college the first time. I'm in college again right now, but the first time I was in college, I was going for journalism and I had signed up to work for the newspaper at the college thinking, oh, it's an easy way, you know, I can use my photography skills, I'll earn some extra money, I'll get my tuition taken care of, like, this is a win-win-win. And I could do the hockey photos, like, no problem, because I just had to go up to the very top deck, and I just took my pictures with this giant lens that was super heavy, and I didn't really have to interact with anybody. And then I could do the swim photos because, again, basically you're that awkward person just standing there taking pictures of the people as they're swimming up and down the lanes. Super easy. Basketball photos were actually a little bit harder. I had a lot of doubt on my ability to do sports photography. And I remember I was sitting up in the stands, took some photos, and the main photographer for the university had beckoned for me to come down so I did and the whole way I was dreading I was like oh he's gonna ask to look at my pictures I'm so bad at this this is terrible oh I'm gonna get fired I'm gonna lose my job I'm I'm not gonna be able to have a career in journalism blah right the whole world had ended in my mind in the time it took for me to go from halfway up the um 
the seats and down to where the photographer was. And he looked at my camera and he goes, you've, you've actually got some really good shots here, but uh, the bleachers are kind of getting in the way. And I remember just being stunned as I went, well, yeah, but that's the only way for me to be out of the way. And he goes, no. And he made me stand on the sidelines and practice taking pictures of the basketball players. And he would actually step in front of me because he's like, you have to, you have to learn how to be competitive at this. You have to be willing to shoulder somebody out of the way because if they're trying to steal your shot, you got to stand up and take the shot anyway. And it was so hard. It was such a foreign concept for me that I really struggled with it. And after that, I mostly just wanted the hockey assignments because I was like, oh, this is kind of terrifying. I'm going to run into him again. And now I'm going to have to do the thing. But it also made me a much better photographer. And it taught me that sometimes that self-doubt that sneaks up on us can hold us back. It can keep us from doing the things that we really can do or shining to our fullest extent. And that's because self-doubt is insidious. It sneaks up on us in little ways, like it did as I was walking down those bleachers. And other times it hits us like a hammer when it prevents us from doing anything, from even trying to step outside of our comfort zone or doing the thing that we know that we can do. And therefore, the first step to dealing with self-doubt is simply recognizing it's there. That's kind of like, you know, remember the monster under the bed when we were, when we were kids? We don't really know what's there in that dark space in our closet or in the hallway <clears throat> right outside our room or under our bed. All we know is it's dark and there's often shapes there and our brain creates all these pictures of what it could be. I had a super overactive imagination as a kid, so I'm pretty sure there was a monster everywhere. There's probably a monster in the bathroom even because I could create all sorts of stories about what was going on because I didn't know. And that's how self-doubt is. When we don't know what's there, it can fester and it grows and it grows until we grow enough to realize we can check the facts. We can challenge what our imagination is telling us is there. We can challenge that concept of self-doubt. Just like as we get older, we learn how to go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to look under my bed. And we probably start with, I'm going to have my parents look under the bed. Or maybe we have a sibling that we're like, I can sacrifice them. They can check what's under the bed for me. And then we get old enough that we're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to check what's underneath my bed because I want to know. Self-doubt is the monster under our bed, except it's in our minds. It feeds off the way that we often let it do its thing. And once we name it, we start to gain control over it. Because once we recognize, oh, I'm on that train of self-doubt, I've started that self-talk of, oh no, he's going to want to look at the camera and he's going to say these things. Or, oh no, I have to go up in front of this group of people and I have to talk and they're all <clears throat> really smart at this and they're all really good at this. And I have to be the one to tell them new information or give it to them in a way that maybe they haven't heard of it before. And the next thing, once we're aware of that, is accepting it. That's right. Self-doubt exists. It isn't friendly. It isn't fun. It can hold us back, but it does exist. Just like our flaws and our drive to compare ourselves to others, those often help feed that self-doubt. Like when we are walking up in front of that group of people, it's not that I'm sitting there necessarily going, I really suck at this and I can't possibly do this. 
I'm looking at what they can do going, well, they do it really well. Now I have to do this thing and they might not like it and I might not do it as well as them. And so clearly I suck, right? Once we are able to identify, oh, I have some self-doubt right now. I need to accept it exists. Then we can start directly addressing it. And we can work on accepting that the flaws are real. And it's a part of what makes us who we are. Without those flaws, what really differentiates us, right? We all have different strengths and weaknesses. We all have different flaws and aspects of ourselves that define who we are and make us the awesome person that we are. And when we try to hide those flaws or we compare ourselves to other people and say, well, but I struggle with this and they don't. So clearly there's something wrong with me. I need to be doing differently. Like if you haven't gone, like I'm, I've been working on trying to go back to the gym more often. When I go in there, you know, 10 years ago, I was lifting all sorts of crazy weights. I go in now and it's an automatic comparison of, well, I used to be able to do, but now I'm struggling to do this one. So yikes, I don't know if I can ever get back there again. Or, you know, sometimes you see the other people and they're just like going to town and you're like, well, you know, I'm not there. So maybe I don't belong here. That's self-doubt. Once we start accepting it's there, we can change that self-talk. We can sit there and go, you know what? I can be here. It's okay. I can't do that thing. It's okay that maybe I have a different perspective on this thing than they do. It's okay that I struggle with staying on task. It's okay that this is there. You know, we can, and then if we want, we can change some of the behaviors related to that. If I'll pick on myself, because that's going to be the easiest thing for this podcast. I struggle with staying on task, especially when I'm talking about things, because I am a visual thinker and my brain goes in a thousand different directions, often all at once. And it can be hard to catch which thoughts going where and how I want to express it. And I can look at that and I can have self-doubt that that's going to make it difficult for me to do things. I can also accept that, yeah, that, that's a thing, right? I genuinely have difficulty with that. And that's okay. It's a part of what makes me able to handle situations where things are going 100 miles an hour and we don't really know what the outcome is going to be because I can just go. I can come up with 100 different ways that this could turn out and I start prepping for each one even as I'm going. If I want to lead something and I am having that self-doubt and I'm like, you know, I accept this is how my brain works. But also, I would like to be able to do this differently because this will make it more effective. And that is in, in line with what I really want to accomplish with this. Then I can look at ways to modify my behavior. Maybe I rely on things like a heavier detailed outline, a script, practice. Maybe I rehearse with a trusted friend or somebody that is willing to sit there and be like, hey, really value this bit, but that bit was a bit much. When we start owning that there are things that we can do to make those changes without putting ourselves down, that's where we grow. That's where we can start really addressing that self-doubt. And as we do that, then we can confront our imposter syndrome that tells us we don't belong in certain spaces. Because the truth is, we do. We belong in the spaces that we want to exist within. 
And just because we exist in ways that maybe other people in that same space don't, doesn't mean that we don't deserve to be there. This is what makes imposter syndrome equally sneaky. We may not always be aware we're experiencing it because it shows itself in so many different ways. And I'll give you guys a few examples just to kind of demonstrate how imposter syndrome and self-doubt can sneak up on us and how it can affect us. So if we go back to my example during the intro about the breathwork practicum, we can see where imposter syndrome absolutely showed up in the way that I doubted my ability to hold space for those students in the way that was offered to me. And thankfully, I challenged that and I accepted the offer in the end because I can acknowledge that the imposter syndrome is there, right? And it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to acknowledge we have doubt, we have concerns, we have some anxiety about something. We're not quite sure that maybe we belong in a certain space. As long as we can also move through that authentically to accomplish the things that we know that we can. In this case, I know I can lead the sessions. I know that I have done that. And I feel confident in my ability. But what happened was when I got the offer, I started to immediately compare. Well, I've, I've taken classes from this instructor. I know her abilities. I know what she can do. And I don't know if I can compare. I don't know if I am as good as her. I don't know if they will like how I share this because I don't know if it will be enough like what she does. So really what happened was my comparison to this other teacher led me to feel like I didn't belong in that space. And the reality is when we have learned and practiced something or believe that we can hold space for some in something, then it's okay to hold space for our doubts too, as long as we also take up the space that we want to take up. Because generally speaking, we can take up space in anything that we desire to, right? We're capable, we can do things, and even when we struggle with things or things are scary, we can connect to support networks, we can decide what we want to do and what truly is in alignment or within integrity for ourselves and our goals and what we know we can do. So another example would be we can also see imposter syndrome in my response to what was actually a teaching moment with a university photographer. It was just a different type of imposter syndrome or different set of events that created it for me. We can see where the self-doubt became this intense dread. And then the idea that, obviously, my career as a photographer was over. In fact, it hadn't even really begun. And this happened because as soon as he asked me to come down and talk to him, I began to not only doubt my ability to take decent photos, but I also started to doubt myself as a sports photographer, especially as a female sports photographer. And it really did interfere with how receptive I was to the lessons that he gave. You know, as I acknowledged, like it totally changed how I wanted to pursue sports photography after that. I did not like doing the basketball assignments because I was always like, oh, I might run into him and then he's going to judge my photos again. And it was this intense feeling of being an imposter. You know, here I am, a young female, being a sports photographer, taking up space in something that you don't see a lot of women doing, or at least I didn't see a lot of women doing at that time. And that's another type of imposter syndrome, right? 
when we don't see people that look, think, talk, act like us in a space, and then we want to move into that space. And so then we doubt our ability or even our right to exist in that space. And it can be hard to combat that because that goes above and beyond just accepting that, you know, I feel like maybe I don't belong or I have doubts about my ability to do this thing. Then we get into even challenging the stereotypes associated with that thing. And that's harder. And that can require not just the acceptance and that ability to, or the desire to address it for yourself, but also a support network to hold space for you as you navigate that. Because that can be really hard. Another way that imposter syndrome can live is in the way that we feel we need constant education, certification, the good jobs, the keep doing it, you're so great, you're so fantastic, and all the external validations that tell us we know our stuff. This gives us a reason to hold back, or can give us a reason to hold back from entering the space that we want to, because are we really good enough? Maybe we're not ready yet. If we haven't had enough of that external validation, maybe we need more education, we need another certificate, or we need some reviews or people telling us, that was fantastic, you're really good at this, I really appreciated how you did this, before we feel ready to take up that space. And it's easy to feel that way in our society today, because we often tout, oh, this this person has these certifications, you need this type of education to be in this space at your fullest. You need this and this and this in order to get a raise or to be promoted or in when you're moving into something new, you know, you want people to tell you, oh, you're doing really good. You really know your stuff because then that tells you, okay, I can exist. Like I belong here. I deserve to be here. And unfortunately, this also then begs the question of, I'm so sorry if you guys heard that. My dog just flapped her ears. Um, It also begs the question of how ready is ready enough? How much education is enough? How many certificates, how many good jobs, how many you're doing so good at this is enough for us to feel like we deserve to be in that space or like we're not an imposter. You see, imposter syndrome lives in the ways in which our doubts tell us we can't take up space we don't deserve to take up space, and that we need to sit back and let the people that know what they're doing take up the space that we want. Even when we know how to do it, we can do it. We've done it a hundred times. Maybe we've done it a million times because they surely know more than us. And that's what makes imposter syndrome and self-doubt so sneaky because it exists in so many different ways. And unfortunately, The only way to really deal with that is to learn how to accept it, accept that it happens, accept that it is a part of us, and then move through it. Connect to a support network that can help you challenge those things, build that confidence in yourself, own the totality of who you are, and know that it's totally natural to experience self-doubt and imposter syndrome because we as humans are prone to comparing ourselves to other people. And it's often unconscious. We don't sit there and consciously think, oh, let me compare myself to that photographer, that yoga teacher, that coworker, that friend, that other student in this class. It just happens. And as we build awareness that it is happening, 
we can build ways to address it. We can start challenging it just like we do the monster under our bed. We can say, you know, I am having some doubts for myself and that's totally okay. I can see these pieces of evidence that tell me I am fantastic at this or that I've got this or yes, this might be more challenging than I'm used to, but I know I can work through it and I can build into it because this is what I do. I am capable of that. I can ask for help. I can do all of these things to deal with it. And as we start doing that, the voices of the self-doubt and the imposter syndrome can get quieter. It stops being that thing that snakes up on us and we're like, wait, how did I get all the way over here where I'm totally destroying myself to, ah, yep, that train just hopped the track over there and I should probably get it back over here. You know, we can throw in the, the little track switch thing and bring it back on track. We can stop the train. We can imagine another train station and we can get that thought off the train and put a new one on. We can reach out to a friend and say, hey, I'm really nervous about doing this thing. I feel like I don't belong in that space. Help me out here. And they can help us challenge that so that we can address it and start shifting it because we deserve to take up the space that we want to take up. We deserve to be who we want to be, to own whoever we are, and to be authentically ourselves to the fullest extent of that. So if you are a odd, quirky person who loves, I don't know, to dance and be hyperactive and make friends everywhere you go, be that person. Take up that space. If you are the person who likes to, like I do sometimes, uh, go to social gatherings and then sit there and read a book, be that person. Own that person because you are that person. And you deserve to be whoever you want to be. And I hope that today's episode has been helpful for you. Um, feel free to drop me a message. I think on Anchor, you can send me voice memos. Uh, you can reach out to me over on Instagram. You can leave comments or reviews. Let me know what you think. And I will see you guys next time. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't hesitate to share with a friend, save for later, or leave me a review. If you would like more content like this, you can find me over on Instagram at raisa.coaching. That's R-E-I-S-E dot coaching.